Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 5th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Bleary-Eyed Long. <laughs> that should be your avatar, like, for, uh, for any online poker rooms you play in. That's right now my new uh, Rhythm and Blues DJ voice there. <laughs> you should do like Phoebe on Friends and uh, catch a cold and get that really raspy <laughs> voice that gets everybody listening to her for the finally for the first time. 52 years old. Can you believe that, Lisa Kudrow? Wow. Makes me feel really old. <laughs> Not as old as when the uh, buffet clerk uh, asked me whether I was 55 or older. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, after two weeks ago, I got a uh, the automatically got the fifty five and older discount at TJ Maxx. Oh man! Yeah, inside of inside of five years ago, I'm getting carded when we walk into casinos, and you're getting asked if you're in the fifty five or older group. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm older than you. Yeah, great. <laughs> so uh, you're bleary eyed because you're still on the West Coast, and you're getting up early. You did not forget the Any Up Nation today. We're very proud of you. And I had a uh, pretty crazy day yesterday. I was up for 24 straight hours, and I'm working on five hours of sleep right now. So. Oh, man. All right, let's get to it. Now, but the uh, people that get the 55 older discount at the buffet <laughs> should not be up for 24 straight hours. So. <laughs> I want you to get some sleep, so uh, let's get to it. Let's see what's going on with you. All right. Well, you know how much I hate uh, non-poker stories to start the show, but I know that's a really important thing for you, Chris. Yes. So, uh, yes. I'm going to go ahead and give you a non-poker story um, for you. That's why right? I tune in each week. Right. Right. Now, it's somewhat poker related because it involved me getting here and stuff, but I have just had the worst luck with planes on this entire trip. I know. Now, when I, when I first left and we went up to Pennsylvania to see some of my friends, I was during that whole Southwest debacle that probably lots of our listeners got trapped up in, mm-hmm. and uh, literally uh, parked the car, got on the airport shuttle, get the uh, text, your flight's been canceled. I'm like, thanks, Southwest, for the robust warning that we had there. Um, and ended up having to drive two hours to Orlando to fly to Baltimore, which is not where we were going to go, but we made it. So that's cool, right? Right. A couple days later, my wife drops me off at the uh, Pittsburgh airport to fly out here to the Annie Up World Championship in Thunder Valley. So you have work poker in there. Um, <laughs> and um, so I get to the gate, and uh, they do that thing. Hey, uh, big surprise. Uh, we don't have enough overhead bin for all you people that didn't want to pay the 25 bucks to check your bags. Thing, right? And, of course, then they're like, you know, we'll check it for free to your final destination. Well, I had connecting flight. I'm like, I'm up there for that, right? So I'm up. First in line, right? Mm-hmm. And um, just ready to tell the guy, hey, I want to check my bag when he gets on the little uh, 
speaker and says, hey, we are overbooked. We are looking for one volunteer. We're going to give you $500 in flight credit, and we can get you on a flight two hours later. Now, uh, I was just coming to Thunder Valley that night to sleep, so right. I'm like, score! <laughs> so I'm right there, right? So I'm like, hey, I'm your volunteer. He's like, all right. And he's like, he checks his flights. He's like, oh, man, that flight, uh, that later flight's not going to get you to Dallas in time to make your connection. And I'm like, uh, can you put me up at a hotel? He's like, absolutely. And I'm like, great. Um, and I'm like, I... I do need my bag back though and he's like oh okay let me check and see if i can get your bag off the plane if I can get your bag off the plane it's a deal i'm like all right he literally picks up the phone chris and as he has the phone in his hand the pilots from the inbound flight walk down the jetway tap him on the shoulder and say do not board this plane oh no way it's a problem with the landing gear it's probably going to be about an hour repair but your guests uh, your passengers are going to be a lot more comfortable here in the terminal than sitting on the plane while they fix it well, about an hour and a half later, they canceled the flight, Chris. <laughs> they couldn't fix it, right? Oh, no. Uh, so to avoid the line, I jump on the phone, right, to rebook my flight and everything. Call them up, and they're like, oh, yeah, we got you booked on a flight tomorrow morning. I'm like, oh, great. You mean the flight that they were going to give me about an hour ago? Right. And uh, and I'm like, well, what about a hotel for tonight? Oh, you have to uh, see the gate agent about that. Now, at this point, I'm the only one almost on this flight that wasn't already in line. Right. So an hour and a half later, I get to the front of the gate, get my hotel, get on the shuttle to my hotel, and I find myself in the Pittsburgh hotel where I expected to be, sleeping for the flight tomorrow morning that I expected to be, minus $500 for flight credit. Yeah, not getting the $500 credit. That's crazy. It's slow roll to poker before, right? But not <laughs> been slow roll to travel. It's slow roll to the airport. See, I, I try to keep the poker thing going. Very good, very good. Um, so, uh... Yesterday, third flight of the trip, you know, I'm out here for two weeks, and, uh, you know, I'm on this quest to go to all Major League Baseball stadiums, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm uh, flying out of here on Monday, going to Toronto and scratching that one off. So that leaves only San Diego, Chris. San Diego is the only stadium left. And I'm like, I'm out here in California. There's got to be a way to get me to San Diego to see a game. So I, I do a lot of research, finally figure out that I can drive two hours south to this little tiny airport, fly to JFK, drive to San Diego, go see the game, and do it all in reverse in the same day. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Hence the 24 hours I was up yesterday. <laughs> uh, but the flight's at 6 a.m., so I had to get up at 2 a.m. yesterday. Drive there. I didn't want to miss the flight. I get there at 4.30, before the airport's even open. So now I'm just sitting out the car, you know, on Facebook or whatever, right? Right. 5 o'clock, I'm like, I walk back up to the... And there's not even a mouse stirring anywhere around this airport, right? I'm like, this is kind of weird. I know it's a small airplane. It's, it's only an eight-seater. But there's got to be somebody here right now, an hour before the flight, right? So I pick up my paperwork. Yep, at the wrong tiny California airport, Chris. Oh, no way. So I uh, Google it real, uh, Google Maps it real quick. Uh, it will get me there at 5.51. My flight leaves at 6. <laughs> oh, no. So I uh, Sammy Hagar it all the way down there, get there 15 minutes early. They haven't even opened security at that tiny airport yet. <laughs> End up making it down there, going to the game, and then almost missed my flight on the way back. Uh, I thought I was going to miss it, so I didn't fill up the gas tank. Of course, I get out of the car, get in the shuttle, get to the counter. <sighs> I'm here, I'm here. Don't don't lock me out. And he's like, don't worry, the flight's been delayed an hour. I'm like, ah! Oh, man. So I am uh, 0 for 3 on flights so far this trip. Um, so that, that was my initial story for all the people that listen to this show because they hate over well, bucket lists know no time, so you can't complain. <laughs> this, this is this is what you're doing. You're crossing off things off your bucket list. Uh, this is a good thing, though, is I'm relieved because in the show notes, 
you said flight mayhem, and I thought, oh no, like flights for the tournament, like something yeah, happened in the tournament. On there. You wouldn't question it. <laughs> I, I knew you would think it was something to do with poker, and it wasn't. Oh, you'd be a great magician with the misdirection there, I tell you. Got me thinking right, one way. talking about flights. We'll talk about <laughs> poker now. Get him out here at the Annie Up World Championship in Thunder Valley. Today I am. Yesterday I wasn't. But, um, and we did have a, a, a three, a four, actually four multi-flight events this year um, in these 20 event series. And uh, I told you last week about how the uh, initial one kicked off with just shy of 1,600 players. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, whole series has been going really well so far. Uh, but the second multi-flight called the Monolith. <laughs> Uh, $425 buy-in. It produced a $50,000 top price, Chris. That's pretty amazing. That's amazing. God. Just, just great big money here for small buy-ins. And they're doing satellites to get in there, too, so you could have got in for even less than 425 I think like right. 55 so, something like that. Wow. So, um, crowds and hordes, hordes and hordes and crowds of people coming out here. <laughs> Thunder Valley, and one of them is our our famous Chicago Joe Jertuga, our ambassador from Chicago, who is on the cover of this month's magazine because he won the Annie Pokerroom dot com uh, Annie Tour series last week. Yep. Um, and uh, he's out here, and I saw him uh, the other night, and I'm like, uh, he's just ecstatic. You know, he, he's always happy wherever he is, right? Yep. You know, he could be in, the, in a car wreck, and you know, have one leg bleeding. It's like, no, it's great. I got another one. It's perfect. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Uh, but no, he just had a lot of fun, and um, so uh, Monday was the horse tournament, always my favorite event, and uh, he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna play the horse tomorrow. I'm like, all right, great. Yep. Sit down, look up at my, uh, I'm looking at my phone, I get a text from him, he's like, uh, good luck. I'm like, all right, I get ready to text him back, I realize he's three people away from me at my table. <laughs> oh, he's at your table. <laughs> I'm like, that's not cool, I don't want to take Joe's money into the final table. Um, and uh, to his credit, uh, you know, at the beginning he was a little rocky um, in, in some of the games, uh, which is not surprising. Most people here are, um, including the dealers sometimes. Um, but uh, then he just went on a roll, and um, I bowed out 17th, and Joe was still alive. Wow. Not too bad. And uh, so at the break, he came over and he was talking to me. He's like, Scott, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's right, Joe. No one here knows what they're doing. He's like, He's like, I've learned everything I've learned about these games was from those four eight uh, mixed games that I helped Greg Raymer set up when he comes to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had a massive stack when I got knocked down, and we were close to the money bubble at that point. I came back down later and didn't cash, and I haven't seen him since, so I haven't got a chance to ask what happened. But uh, I, I was hoping for an Annie up casher in the horse today. Holy cow! Not to be, but yeah. Um, so, uh, and then today's the heads-up tournament. I'm going to play that, and then I'll play the uh, Chinese tournament on Sunday. But the main event kicks off Friday, $500,000 guaranteed prize pool. People coming from all over the country for this, we've already seen. So uh, come out with that. Complete schedule. More information can be found at antiupmagazine.com slash world championship. And uh, even though I'm one, in, one of three in cashing in tournaments, which uh, Ben Irwin, the director of poker here, says is a pretty good clip, right? Mm -hmm. so, Oh, but but I also know that I have no chance of catching the heads up today, so it's gonna be one out of four. Never know. But um, but I've been playing a lot of cash. Uh, they have an Omaha four eight uh, high low game here, uh, half kill, and I have taken nine hundred dollars out of this in two sessions, Chris. <laughs> Holy, that's crazy! It's pretty insane for a four eight game, right? Especially a split pot game. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fifty dollar an hour clip. I'm working at right now. <laughs> wow. There, there are times during that that I'm like, eh, maybe I'll just give Chris the other half the company. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot easier. Now, um, 
Uh, certainly, the players are a little, uh, but I, they've had this game here before. So I've asked some people. I mean, are the players worse now because I, I've never done this well out here, and it's not like I, I didn't think I was playing that much better. Um, but I, what I've learned, what I think I attributed to, is the addition of at seat phone chargers. Yeah. All right. So here's the thing: is they've added them to all the tables out here, except in the tournament area, but in the in the cash game area, uh, where they run a lot of the tournaments too, as well. Um, you know, you have the USB port right there at the table. Plug it in, free Wi-Fi, and I have. You know, I've been traveling forever, so I got a bunch of TV on the DVR that I've been backed up on, and it's stressing me out because when I get home, I'm gonna have to do work, and I don't have time to watch TV, and it's gonna get. You know, this keeps compounding, right? Right. So I'm like, you know what? I, I'm just gonna catch up on my DVR while I'm playing Omaha. And that's exactly what I did. And you know what it did? Makes you tighten up. Kept me from getting bored. Yeah. Kept me from getting bored and playing those double pair hands and all that other crap that I tell people in the Omaha classes on the cruise never to play. But I just get bored and play it, and then that's where I lose all my money. So I just tightened up. I played just premium hands, got paid off every single time. And it's really like printing money. <laughs> and now I'm out of the TV show, so I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to look for some movies if I'm going to play the rest of the week. <laughs> just keep rewatching TV shows. That's what I do. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll uh, check out this Friends show that I heard is really cool. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's amazing to actually have your leak in your game exposed to you in a weird way, and that's what it was. So, um, you know, it, again, it, but paying attention and being, you know, having good starting hands is what it's all about. Who'd have thunk uh, it? Yeah, I know. Be, be, being bored at a poker table is a bad thing, huh? <laughs> I never would have figured that for poker. Well, that's great, man. That's I always like it when you win money out there. Then you're not, you know, depressed that you're traveling over the country and, and losing money on top of it. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, so I made enough to pay for all my tournament entries, so I'll be going home with. Uh, unless I the whole Omaha thing crash crashes, I'm here later in the week. I'll be going home with the least amount of money that I brought out here, at least. <laughs> that's good, though. That's I good. KTM, so. Um, and then also don't forget that the Four Corner Series in any Poker Tour Series at Sandia Resort and Casino in Albuquerque, New Mexico, continues through Labor Day weekend. Event number three is August 6th. More info on that series can be found at antiamagazine.com slash Sandia. Uh, speaking of Labor Day, we got some sad news and shocking news, of course. The Taj Mahal is closing after Labor Day. We just reported just a little while ago that they're reopening the poker room. And we are thinking that, hey, maybe they're going to figure out how to do this and everything. And... Uh, what is it? How do you pronounce this guy's name? Is it Icon? Carl, Carl Icon, yeah. He told the Associated Press that he owns the place. He says he's losing nearly $100 million on the Taj in the last 18 months. And the closing, of course, will eliminate 3,000 jobs, which if, you know includes a poker room. So uh, pretty depressing. You know, this is the, when you say, speaking of Icon, I mean, this is the iconic room. You know, that was from Rounders, and we just talked about this. They were just reopening it, giving us hope, and then they're closing the whole thing down. Yeah, woo, for a minute there, I thought you meant the Taj Mahal in India was closing, and I haven't been in it there yet. Oh, no, no. The Sorry. Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City. The Trump Taj Mahal is it, See, I stay on poker things. <laughs> now, you would travel to the Taj Mahal and have a story yeah, about that. You didn't say Trump Taj Mahal. <laughs> you, you cleansed it of its name. <laughs> I did, because his name's only on there because they say he doesn't own it anymore. That's, that's so. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, you know, I was traveling yesterday, as I mentioned, and uh, I got this email from you. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They just yep. closed the poker room for like 18 months or something, right? And then uh, and then reopened it to grand fanfare just a couple months ago. Yeah. And I got all excited about being able to go back to Taj and play poker, and then boom, shutting everything down. <laughs> the entire casino just going down. Unreal. Uh, 
Yeah, it, it's you know, and we've talked about Atlantic City a lot on this show, and it's just a unique, interesting on its island place in the gaming world is how I describe it. You know, back when it first launched, it was on an island then because it was you know the first place you could go gamble with not Las Vegas in the name. Yeah. And did really well because of that. And then, um, you know, as gambling spread across the country, uh, they just never adjusted there. And that's why all these casinos have fallen. And they've resisted doing the things that they need to do to be successful. And so that's why I say it's remained on an island. And it's a different island. It's like Gilligan's Island getting rescued and crashing into another island. Yeah. Um, and uh, so now it's this labor strife. This labor strife is just nonstop in Atlantic City. I mean, I don't think I've been to Atlantic City more than once where there hasn't been workers on strike somewhere. So, um, you know, I'm not taking sides on whether it's the workers or the owners' fault, but uh, clearly they can't work together. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, this is not a market that can sustain not being operating or not operating at peak efficiency or having a black eye which is what strikes are i mean they're meant to be black eyes to get people to you know get the owners to get them back in so um all this stuff can together just does, it's not surprising so i think we're down to what uh, three poker rooms now again in atlantic city crazy yeah something like that it's just so sad uh, all right. Well, in other news, a consortium of Chinese companies has paid $4.4 billion in cash. You know, Chris, we had 4.3. I can't believe we got uh, out. We could have done it. If I wasn't playing Omaha this week, it would have been better. If you were playing a little better, we could have done it. You had more money. <laughs> uh, consortium, a consortium of Chinese companies has paid $4.4 billion in cash to acquire Caesars Interactive's mobile gaming business, which includes Playtica company's popular social networking gaming site not included in the sale and most important to our listeners was wsop.com the world series brand or any caesar's hotel casinos i gotta admit i don't play games on facebook or twitter or anything like that so i've never even actually heard of play tika so i don't really know what this means other than there's a lot of rich people in china and now a lot of rich people in america i tell you that when you told me what wasn't included i thought what did they pay for I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming this has got to be huge, and it's just not in my, definitely not in my wheelhouse. But um, yeah, I, I suppose it's got to be huge for them to do that. So that's a lot of money for something that doesn't include WSOP.com or any of the Caesars hotels. And yeah, casinos. I think the social networking gaming is really quite uh, way more popular than than you and I think, um, and certainly it is over in Asia. So I think um, they see this as a way to you know cash in on that, and who knows at some point. All that stuff uh, might become legal for real money. So now they're well set up for that. So that's, I imagine that's why the value is so much. Unbelievable. All right, PokerRadius.com, the great poker networking site that is home to our Annie Up group discussions, has added a new section dedicated to hand analysis featuring hand recreations using the Share My Pair app. Basic memberships are free, and you get access to the Antioch Group discussions, and upgraded memberships get you access to discounts on poker products and automatic entries to contests. And one more thing I forgot to add on here, they've also added a hand analysis section to our group discussions now for all you folks that uh, just like doing... I'm sorry, not hand analysis. Yeah, I, I just said that. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're killing yeah, me. That's another feature that I cannot remember now because I'm clear-eyed <laughs> and travel. Uh, just go there. There's some cool stuff. Yes. There's more stuff than there was the last time you won. How about that? Uh, and don't forget that voting is still open for our 2016 Annie Up Most Popular Dealer Contest. 
Read who is nominated and why and cast your ballot at annieupmagazine.com slash mpd through August 15th. All right, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at annieupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from Benjamin in Silver Spring, Maryland. He says, I just hosted my first big poker home game in about 10 years. Uh, and I found myself with a few questions afterward. He says, uh, which method should I use to assign button and blinds when someone is eliminated or when someone rebuys? I've heard of dead button and moving button, two different methods, I think, but I'm not sure of the details. Do you want to go through this one at a time? Because he's got a lot of questions. Yeah, they're all kind of unrelated, so let's do that. So, right. um, let's see. So which method should I assign? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Um, well, both are acceptable. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the dead button. It's so much easier Yeah. To keep track of. I don't really understand why people do the moving button. Um, it just gets really confusing, particularly when you're in a casino and cash game and you get like four or five blinds now. And, and fortunately, the dealer can keep track of it and let you know when you're done with it. But uh, I think it's much better just to do the dead button, uh, especially in a home game. Yep. Just keep it easy. Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, so next question. In a showdown, must all show or only the last to raise first to show plus any uh, who think their hand is stronger than the strongest hand revealed so far in order to contest the hand? Uh, if the raise was earlier than the river card in Hold'em, must the first player left of the dealer show first rather than most recent player betting or raising? If someone is all-in, should we contest side pots first so as to not risk them uh, giving them to an all-in player entitled only to the main pot? All right, so in a showdown, if it's in a tournament and someone's all-in, both hands must be shown. If it's in a showdown and you got plenty of chips left and everybody has chips left and everything, then... You know, the last person who bet uh, for, you know, made, made a bet. Action. Yeah, Better. exactly. It has to show their hand. But if they doesn't show their hand, it's because they're bluffing and they don't want to be embarrassed. And you know you have the winning hand, you can show your hand and then the other person. So basically, yeah, they only have to only both show if there's an all-in involved somewhere in there. Yeah, we've got a, um, a related discussion going on at PokerRadius.com about this. And my advice there was exactly what we just said. That's the proper procedure, but... Uh, as I said, you know, everybody, it's your money, so you can play however you want. So I'm not trying to make you change how you play because of my personal opinion. But, you know, when we're in home games or one, two, no limit games, I just don't think there's that many sophisticated players for actually paying attention to what you're playing and actually being able to register it in their brain and use it against you later on. So uh, from my point of view, I think uh, home games are probably a little bit different. But in a casino game, I'm more than happy just to turn my hand over, take the pot, move on and I'm going to make more money on the three or four extra hands an hour I'm going to get by not sitting there doing this wild wild west showdown um, yeah. stare down yeah. to somebody else um, in the hopes that he doesn't use the cards against me later on So, um, but you know you're more than justified in going in the proper order if you want I'm just asking you to speed up the game and really think about whether you're playing at uh, 100 200 no limit levels here where people might actually be paying attention yeah, and that, like you said, that's, you know, it's a home game that it's the first one he hosted in 10 years. So you're right. You're not real pump, probably coming across people like that anyway. So just, just get it over with. Just show your hands. You know, I mean, you could, and it's your game too. You could make it your own rules. You could say, hey, that's true. That's hey true. if you were, you know, if it's a showdown, you're both showing your hands. That's the way it goes. And show them right away. I'm not standing for any of that muck crap. So <laughs> it's your game. Do what you want. And then finally, uh, you're, you're correct, uh, side pots are um, first. resolved first. Yes, yes. 
All right, so he says, how fast should I raise blinds? We started uh, with big blind at one one-hundredth of buy-in level and doubled every 30 minutes. Started around 6 and finished at 9.15. I felt this was a little early. So then that's up entirely up to you, but you've got a good gauge now that every 30 minutes takes about three hours. Right. So if you do every 45 minutes, it might take four and a half hours, which would end you at around quarter to 11. So, you know, it's something like, I mean, it just depends. Everybody is different. Every tournament is different. Uh, every the tournament size uh, is bigger. Next time you have a home game, you never know. So, But generally, you've got a good feel for it. So if you want to go a little longer, make them 40-minute blinds or 45-minute blinds, and then see what happens. I always yeah. did. We always did like 10-minute blinds in ours because we wanted to get as many singles in as possible. Yeah, we did a bunch of singles all night. That was right. fun, actually. Like, you're playing one tournament, it's a little different. But yeah. uh, uh, The other thing I, I would suggest is uh, there actually are a lot of um, – actually poker tournament length calculators um if you google it you know poker tournament calculator something like that i don't know and you might find them where you can actually put in the number of players starting chips and the structure and it'll give you an approximation of how long the event's going to last and then you could fiddle around with it um you know you could change the, the blinds you could change the length of time all that kind of stuff until you get a structure and a combination that ends at the time that you want so you don't have to do the math yourself you can actually go online find some free resources to figure that out for you i used to have a sheet that howard letterer had put out with like one of his videos or something when i used to run tournaments for Jean at her club um and i you know that was for a lot of people you know that was for you know 40 50 60 people or something and but but yeah there there it's out there the information's out there for you if you want to really pinpoint it um but uh, right now you've got a good start you've got an idea of when it's going to end so all right, he says, what laws must we observe? I guess home games are now permitted in Maryland, where I live, but with what restrictions? I take it we are not allowed to order in pizza and divvy up the cost, uh, lest we be guilty of exchanging money for purposes other than the wager? I don't think that's right. Uh, well, I don't know. So here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, not lawyers, and we are not law enforcement officials. Thank um, Darwin for that. I would not be good with a gun. Um so what I always tell people when they ask me about laws are that the absolute best thing you could do is to call up the law enforcement agency that would be the one that would come to your house and fucking <laughs> name Whether that's the cops or the sheriff or the state wildlife commission, whatever it is, call them directly and say, hey, uh, I am going to be hosting a home poker game and I want to be sure that I am doing everything completely legal please let me know what the local jurisdiction laws are on that so I can do it. Now, that might be scary to do uh, because now you're letting the cops know, hey, I'm having a home game, but you're also being clear. I want to be legal about it, so tell me exactly what it is. Um, there's lots of resources where you can go and read about it and, and on the state level um, at places, but I always worry about that because these state laws are open to interpretation a lot of times. You know, laws are not, as much as we like them to be, that little, you know, I'm just a Bill on Capitol Hill guy, I want to kick in the testicles. <laughs> they try to fit this stuff too easy, but it's not. Right, um, right. You know, laws are subject to interpretation by different law enforcement agencies. We've seen that in Florida here. We've got some sheriffs that are raiding free poker nights at uh, restaurants and other ones that are laughing at it. So it doesn't really matter what the state law is. It matters what the people that will be throwing you in the clink um, think about it. So call them, get their opinion on it, and um, that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, we, I think I can safely go out and say, ah, geez, I find it hard to believe that if you're all paying the same thing for a pizza, that's nothing to do with the poker. But, 
it'd be one thing if you were not paying any of it and they're all paying you as wink wink we're going to give you a rake but in the form of paying for your pizza then you're in trouble but if you guys just ordered a pizza and you paid it for yourself yeah you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're probably correct all, all i'd say is that it's you know it's not reality it's perception right and, politics and the law so you know the cop walks in and you're like hey no hey we all split that even it's up to him to figure that out so yeah. i would rather not let him figure it out <laughs> yeah yeah just just go to your local uh say hey i talked to uh, john down at the station yesterday and here's what he told me i'm doing and i'm doing it <laughs> hey find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been Email us at podcast at anteupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home to the Anteup Group discussions. comes from longtime listener Michael Paul. He wants to know, why is the rake the same at different levels of cash games? Why is the rake at 1-2 the same as 1-3, 2-3, or even 2-5? I know when you get to 5-5 and higher, at most Vegas casinos, it switches from per-hand rake to a timed rake, but it's my understanding that time break remains the same. No other casino game has a fixed fee system like this. Pi Gal requires a winning hand to pay 5% commission. Sports bets require a fixed percentage of a winning bet to go toward the juice. The bigger bet, uh, the bigger the juice. Yet poker is the opposite. Those playing the lowest stakes pay just as much as those in the higher stakes, yet arguably the pots in higher stakes are consistently bigger so the amount of the pot that goes to rake is substantially more for the lower stakes games. Why doesn't the rake increase as the stakes increase? Now, this isn't a traditional call to floor. This is this is like just uh, you know casino industry rules industry. Yes, but uh, this this very interesting answer he gives. I, I really like this answer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I have more to say about it too, but. Excellent. A special shout out to Michael Paul, who was my date for the Padres game yesterday. <laughs> and uh, he was actually asking me about this, and I'm like, and I couldn't remember whether we'd already talked about it on the show or not. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's going to be on tomorrow's show. So listen tomorrow. Were you guys <laughs> yeah. on the Were you guys on the kiss cam at San Diego? Uh, no, no, I missed out on that. Sorry. <laughs> um, all right, here's what Elliot says. He says not all things regarding the revenue generated by poker games in a casino, the rake and time charges are as they might appear to you. The rake in most poker games across the country is taken at the same rate in most no-limit games, generally 10% with a maximum dollar amount of four or more. Uh, when most of the action in poker rooms was fixed limit, the maximum rate to be taken from the pots was the same as it is now, but the percentages would be more player-friendly the bigger the game got. The goal was to generate at least a certain amount per hour on each table regardless of the game. The games with more money on the table and faster action were generally raked at a generous lower percentage to give those games a chance to last a long time. This was a win for the players and the casino. For example, in the 90s and the 2000s, two, four, and three, six limit games would be raked at a straight 10% up to $4 max. Four, eight, and five, 10 games might have been raked at $1 at $10, $1 at $20, $1 at $40 or $50, $1 at $60 or $80. Some games as high as 24 or 20, 40 limit usually wouldn't get the fourth and final dollar until the pot was $200. Fixed limit, the bigger the game, the faster the pace. The game uh, Casinos didn't have to extract the rake as soon as possible to generate the necessary revenue from those games. When the game switched to no limit, the pace of the game changed dramatically. The games converted from fast-paced fixed limit to slow-paced no limit. Also, the money left on the table by the rake rules had less to do with the games lasting longer than the ability of the players not to bust out. Tanking, while non-existent in fixed limit games, not to mention against the rules most of the time, is the reviewer. 
in no limit games regardless of the amount of money in play. The players can bust out no matter how generous the rake percentage might be and the players will be tanking at will and in any betting round the casinos no longer have any incentive or need to be generous with the rake. No limit games are significantly slower than fixed limit games and the revenue produced by poker tables in this no limit era has decreased accordingly. To put it plainly, with the longevity of most no-limit games in question, casinos have to take the rake while the games are running and the ships are on the table. As for time charges, most of the same dynamics in the rake are still in play. Most, but not all, poker rooms commonly charge more per half hour the bigger the blinds and the buy-ins. Rare is the poker room that charges the same fees for a 5-5 game as for a 10-25 or 5-100 game. The bigger the game, the higher the time charge because the biggest games are usually played shorthanded and the revenue collected will be too low unless the time charge accounts for the difference in players seated in various games. Not to mention the bigger games have uh, more money on the table and bigger pots, all which are much greater responsibilities for the poker room staff. Yet another reason they collect higher time charges in bigger games. Whew. Wow, that's a long answer. Lots of digest, <laughs> including the um, One of the things about the, the, the points I think you made in there, I'm not sure, but as you are playing the bigger games that are no limit, they're bigger pots, so people are taking more time to make their decisions. So the longer they don't, and like you talked about Hollywooding earlier, but we're talking about, you know, when you have a legitimate decision because you've got seven grand on the table or a hundred grand on the table, you know, they're going to play so fewer hands per hour that a timed rake makes sense for the house because if they did just per pot, they'd get like three pots an hour sometimes. So I can understand that. One of the things that always perplexed me when we were first starting out doing the show we weren't doing the magazine yet we used to argue with our good friend sam all the time about time drake yeah and say to him hey you know it doesn't make any sense to me and we're having the same discussion over at uh, pokerradius.com i was in there a little bit having a discussion with the guys there and it's just it for somebody who plays a tight game who is very like you someone who's very social you know you may you may get up and talk to somebody that you recognize because you're Scott Long and you're owner of a magazine and a show and people recognize you and want to talk to you. You get up, go talk to somebody for 10 minutes, go to the bathroom for another 10. You come back and time change and time charge. You're like, you just paid $5 for that half hour. <laughs> you weren't even at the table. So you start to resent it. So you're like, you don't mind paying money when you're winning pots because you're winning pots. You don't feel it. But if you're just sitting there playing tight or talking to people and wanting to enjoy a nice social afternoon, you're paying $10 an hour to do it, you start to resent it. So the bigger the games, you don't really feel it because they're playing for thousands of dollars. What's 10 bucks in them an hour? Uh, the smaller the games, if you're time-charging them, it's, it's tough to swallow. So that's why they've, they've made that move to where the games are generally 5-5 five, five or bigger before they're doing time because at that point, you're playing for a ton of money and $10 doesn't mean anything to you. But if you're playing 1-1 one, one or 50 cent a dollar or 1-2, Kind of adds up when you're playing a tight game and you're social. So that's yeah, all I want to say about it. Vegas, we went to the room that will be un, uh, left unnamed. Yeah. <laughs> charges a time rake and a per pot rake. Yeah. Time rake and per pot rake. We lasted about an hour in that before we're like, hey guys, I know you're all India fans and want to play with this, but let's go somewhere else. And they wouldn't give us the automatic shuffler. Yes, that's right. So they're going to deal fewer hands to us and make us pay more money for them. I'm like, yep, yeah, see you later. Um, but the best way to, to kind of boil down everything Elliot said is you have to always put your mind in the frame of mind of the poker room. Remember, poker rooms are businesses. They're being run like businesses, just like if you own your own business, how you run it. Or even if you're an employee, how the business that your company you work for is running it. So essentially, it is a they are offering a service at a table, and they can put up to 10 people at that table 
an hour and they have to generate um, revenue from that. So um, it's just mentioned that even though it seems unfair that it's the same for lots of different ranges, it's because the play at those ranges changes and therefore they have to try to get about the same amount of rake from all games. Um, so, you know, if you want a lower percentage rake, uh, then you play a higher level game. And it's an incentive, I guess, in some sense, if you want to think of it that way, to do that. Um, but the game is going to be slower, and um, they need to make more money off of it. Yeah, you know, I, I do recall complaining about the fact that we all play, you know, we're all doing the same. The dealer is doing the same thing. He's not doing any different. The, the labor involved isn't really doing anything different, but it is the time of it that makes them adjust how much they're taking because if you're taking longer right. per hand and that that's the reason i used to really complain a lot about that when i was first getting into the, the game i was like what we're all doing the same thing no one's doing anything different the dealer's still dealing cards still pushing chips the chips didn't get heavier the cards didn't get heavier the amount of people he's dealing to didn't increase why are we paying more or whatever but then you start to realize the nuances of the of the game and um, the other thing I would say too, uh, Michael Paul brought up about how all these other games you pay a percentage. I think that also has something to do with the fact that the house is getting money in these games like Pygow and sports bets and things like that. They're putting odds on things. They're they're being they're taking hits, whereas in poker they just take a rake every time, so they're not inclined to charge you an exorbitant amount of what you're putting in the middle because it's you against another person against set of gets the house, right? Would that, wouldn't that contribute a little bit to this? Why it's not a percentage? Or- yeah, I, I think probably more specifically you're talking smaller amounts of a bigger percentage maybe is the right way to say yeah. it. So, for example, if I'm playing Pi Gal and I'm playing $25 a hand <laughs> and um, you know, and I'm going to win $25, I'm going to pay my Ten percent or five percent or whatever on twenty five dollars that I win, right? Right. Poker, you know, if you're playing a let's see, ten twenty limit game, pretty much the same thing, right? right. I could win five, six, seven hundred dollars on a pot, and now I'm paying seventy dollars if it's uh, not capped. Right. That one pot, right? So it's it's the amount of money, and that just seems ridiculous at that point. Which is, you know, we've seen that on not our cruise ships, of course, but uh, cruise ships when you make the mistake of going on a cruise ship that doesn't have any a poker room. Um, in the past, I've seen ten uh, percent uh, with no cap on rake. So yep. that's what happens. You know, yep. you win a thousand dollar pot, and they take a hundred bucks out of that. <laughs> yeah, and it's just not the same. It's not the same argument. Uh, because the amount of money that you're winning is different. Right, because it's not the house's money that is being divvied up there. You're, you're literally taking it out of everyone's pocket for one pot instead of you being heads up against the house, and the house is paying you. You're taking If you're taking that kind of a percentage out of our pot, you're taking it out of the two people who are playing their money, and you haven't risked anything. So there's no way the house should get a percentage that much and not have a cap on it. There needs to be a fee well, for him. Back to what Elliot said, too, we got to remember that the biggest motivation for a poker room is to keep games going right um and if you are raking a ridiculous amount of money people are going to go broke uh, much quicker and leave and then the games are going to dry up and you make no money it's, it's the you know the the goose that lays the golden egg thing right so if you charge a lot of rake you'd be just cutting the goose and then the goose is done no more eggs yeah so the goal is to keep those eggs keeping uh, coming out. So you want to keep the games going. 
So you don't want to take too much money off the table so people don't get up and leave because they have no money to play with. So it's an interesting um, uh, mathematical business equation that poker rooms have to go through. So. The thing I, I brought up on the, the poker radius, too, about the timed rake was just if you were that type of person that liked to be social and take your time, imagine going to the store and buying a lottery ticket and you go to pay the dollar and the guy says, oh, no, sorry, a dollar thirty. And you're like, yeah. what do you mean a dollar thirty? Oh, well, we we charge tax on the ticket now. What do you mean charge tax? Well, we want to get our money up front from you because you know. But I didn't win anything yet. It doesn't matter. You you're you're getting charged thirty cents more than the dollar you're supposed to pay for that ticket. And you're like, wait a minute. But if you hit the lottery, you don't mind paying the thirty percent or whatever it is you have to pay for gambling winnings because you just made four hundred million. Right. So you don't mind giving up the you know. Or you mind less. Let's say mind less. Right, you mind a lot less if you're, you know what I mean. If you've won four hundred million, you got to give up thirty million or whatever, ninety million or something. You know, it, it's it's a lot different than every single time you buy a lottery ticket, you got to pay a tax on it. You know, oh, here's the rate. Here's thirty cents more every time you want to buy a ticket when you didn't even win anything yet. You, you get very aggravated by that. So it's very similar to that. So I I don't know. I but I think it's 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 definitely matured since poker first boomed and they didn't really understand how to deal with this. They're like, oh, it's poker. You know, a lot of the smaller and local rooms that didn't even understand what poker was before the boom, you know, then they're like, oh, okay, you know, we're, we're ticking off a lot of people here at these slower levels. Let's just make it a per pot rake and make them happy and they'll be happy. I remember Sam saying, we'll be ecstatic to take money from every single pot. So everyone's happy. So just yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we got a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a $1, $2, No Limit Hold'em casino cash game. The action can be pretty wild, but there are times where it is a little more timid. It's a pretty standard 1-2 game. The blinds post. It's folded to the hijack, who makes it $8 to go. The cutoff folds, and we're on the button with the jack of spades, jack of diamonds. There are a couple of ways to play this hand. We could re-raise her here and potentially push her off a hand or find out we are beat, or we could call and try to outplay her on the flop. We've been playing for around two hours and have only eked out a profit of $25. We sit with $225. The player who made the raise from the hijack is very new to the table. She's only been around for about one orbit and has roughly what she started with, 200 She may be missing her small and big blind, but she hasn't played a hand yet. We decide that since we know very little about this player, we're just going to call. If we get another caller, maybe we rethink this as a set mining mission. We are quite pleased when everyone else folds. The pot is $19, and the flop is the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs, Seven of Hearts. I like this flop, and I don't like this flop. There's an overpair, which doesn't necessarily mean bad things, and there's a heart draw. But other than that, we can go with this. However, our opponent leads out for $15. This could be a standard continuation bet or a made hand. Again, we really have no clue what this woman is like. A check here from her would have been entirely too fishy, so I think a bet was, well, expected. Maybe this is where we want to raise, but I can't help but feel like keeping the pot manageable is the better play. We call. The pot is around $45, and the turn is the queen of diamonds. Interesting. 
Our opponent once again leads out, this time for $30, leaving her about $150 behind. I guess we're on the Manageability Express. I'm with her. We call. The pot is just over $100, and the river is the Eight of Clubs. Our opponent thinks for a while, but finally slows down and checks. So, are we only getting called by a better hand? Are we checking behind? Or are we value betting? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Weeks in Your Hands or Situations, the podcast at antientmagazine.com. Uh, this week comes from Richard Bodner, and he says he's at a 1-3 no-limit game with nine players. Don't know whether it's time rake or pot rake. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says he's in the five spot, and let's uh, see, we have two limpers, and he looks down at Jack, Ten of Clubs. Um. Well, if we've been there a long time and we know guys behind us are crazy and going to raise and stuff, I'd probably just let it go um, because I know there's going to raise and make it expensive for me to play. But if it's just a typical sort of passive game, I'll probably limp. I, I don't really want to raise with this hand in the middle position with so many people left to act behind me. And then, you know, if somebody decides they have a hand behind me and they re-raise, you know, I'm I'm wasting money. Plus, they're suited connectors. I love having. There's some money out there already, so the right the odds are getting there for me to to really be able to chase a hand. So, I think I would just limp along with it. Um. Yeah, this is one of my favorite hands because um, one, I like suited connectors, especially no limit because that's a stackable hand. I like to call right. Yeah. Um. If you get the straight, it's always the nuts, right? So that's what I like specifically about Jack Ten, and then it's suited, obviously. So there's lots of other possibilities as well, too. So uh, I am not folding this. Uh, I can make a case to call because this is almost like a set mining hand in a way. I mean, this is a hand. You know, when we go back to, are you trying to push people out of the pot or pull them into the pot? This is a hand that has so much potential to do damage to people that I'd like to pull them into the pot. So I'm. Uh, more likely here to limp along and try to get a couple of more people and flop big and hope that one of those multiple people hit the hand a little less than me and I can get their stack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I can also defend a raise as well, too, because it's the disguised hand. Because now when you raise, now you can also represent ace-king, ace-king, all, all kinds of other hands in addition to this hand that has the potential of, of flopping a lot. So it comes down to how you want to play it. Um, you know, I, I'm much more of a line-of-weed, snake-trapping kind of player, so with this kind of hand, I'm going to limp it and go for that. But if you're an aggressive raise every five hand or you know every other hand that you're in, then I think you definitely raise here. But I, I can't justify it all a fold here. Uh, and I'll just make two points real quick. If you play both cards in your hand for the straight... You can make five nut straights. The only two cards you can make five nut straights with, and then you'll make the nuts. If you only play one of your cards, you cannot make the nuts. There's hands where you won't make the nuts. Like, That's true. But but yeah, yeah, it's, it's the one that um, Doyle Brunson loves to talk about in his in his uh, super system. He says it's the only two card combination. That if you play both cards, it's the only two you can make five nut hands with, five nut straights. With. So it's a great hand. I used, used, to be, used to be my favorite hand, and then when I said that, everyone said, "That's everybody's favorite hand. Get your own hand," you know. So well, yeah, and I'll admit that I over overvalue it. I used to get too excited with Jack Ten raising it uh, out of position and doing other crazy things and lost a lot of money. So I've, I've tapered back, mostly because of those um, USB charging stations <laughs> at the table. 
and still understand its power, but not understand that it's, you know, if you have like the best, sharpest knife in the world, right? right. That's a really good knife, right? Right. If you show up at a gunfight with it, guess what? <laughs> it doesn't matter how good that knife is. So that's kind of how I describe Jack 10. It, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's the best of its ilk. Yeah. It's it, not the best of all the ilks. Right. So just be careful with it. Yeah, it's got a lot of possibilities. All right. Uh, our hero decides to raise to 12. Wow. Uh, so again, you know, if that's his style, I can defend it. We'll see whether he plays out that way or not. Um, uh, let's see. We get one, two, three, uh, four, five callers. Oh, of course. He lost one of the limpers, but uh, in the small blind, but everybody else is along. So we got a big pot, which I guess is almost the same thing, right? I was trying to pull people in. I just pulled people in with a lot more money now. So now if I hit... That's a good result by totally biff here. A much different result. Well, if if what the person is looking for by raising here so little is to get a lot of callers, so you'd have a big pot, so that you have the right pot to draw it. If you get sort of a nine eight on this flop or something, then right. then you've 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 accomplished your goal. If you were hoping to get heads up with somebody and. You know, hope that if you hit your jack, it's good enough to stand. Well, then you didn't raise enough, so it just depends on what you wanted. Yeah, and that's the problem. Now, now we've lost really the ability to represent aces or kings because you know if we don't hit any part of this board, we got so many people in here. It's a chance that some of them hit something. Yeah, and they're going to be less scared of that than if it's heads up. So. Okay. Um. All right. A flop is seven of clubs, nine of diamonds, jack of hearts, and it's checked to us. See that he always happens, doesn't it? Though doesn't it always happen that when you play thing. connector like this, you'll hit one of the cards as your top pair, and you have no kicker to go with it. Now, I mean, so it's jack ten of clubs, right? You said, uh, yes. All right, so we've got backdoor clubs, we've got gut shot straights, uh, and we have top pair with no kicker. So, and it's checked to us. So there's seventy in the pot, seventy-two in the pot, or seventy after rake probably. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to keep up the ruse that we have a big hand. It's just that it's so coordinated. I mean, it's it's rainbow, but it's still coordinated for a straight, for cards that are looking to be, hey, he raised, so he has high cards, I'm going to call with low cards. and So, I mean, there's something there that could be said for us, even though we hit that top pair. But I still think we have to bet. Um, I don't know, 35, maybe 40? Something like that. I, I feel like you got to represent your hand. I mean, you took control of the hand raised, and now you've hit your top pair. I mean, it's not what you wanted, but you still have a gutter for a straight. And this is exactly what we're talking about. It wouldn't be the nut straight if you hit it, because somebody with queen 10 would, would beat you now if the 8 came. Um, but let's, uh, let's make a bet around that amount, I guess. Yeah, here's kind of the problem with jack 10 when you hit a jack, a jack high board. It's, it's that... Uh, alluring tease, right? Mm-hmm. It's like being in the at the bar and looking and seeing this beautiful flowing long hair, and you go up to tap her on the shoulder to buy her a drink. She turns around, she has a mustache. <laughs> it looks good, and then just gets you in trouble, right? Um, uh, so you know now this this is kind of like hitting in the middle. Uh, I was saying before we knew the flop that you know we were hoping to limp and then hit a big hand and stack someone. 
but we raced. Now we could uh, take charge, but there's so many people out there that we actually need to hit something to be able to continue well. So we did hit something. I'm just not very excited. So I think at this point I got to make a stab here just to see what happens. Um, but I want to be careful about not getting too sucked into this hand. So um, uh, what did you just that pot was again? I, it was like 72. You said there were so many limpers plus our call, so that make it 70. And minus the pot. So like 70. Minus a uh, rake, I mean. Yeah. So, so maybe a 30. Is that, what what'd you I say? I said like 35 or 40. So 30, maybe, yeah, yeah, somewhere between 30 and 40, I think. Is what 30 and 40 is perfect. Yeah. All right, our hero bets 20. Wow. Uh, we bet 20. Smallish bets on uh, on Richard's part here, right? I mean, I I can see the whole, uh, I don't have a great kicker, um, I don't want to risk too much money, but then if you're doing that, people might interpret that as well and say, well, you're weak. You know, that's not a very forceful bet into a $70 pot. Um, but then again, maybe that's the, the temperature of the table, too. You know, that a bet like that will get everybody out, you know, or get half the field out or most of the field, who knows. So I, I can't really fault them because I don't have a lot of information on this table. But generally, I think you want to bet a little more than that. Yeah. We'll see what happens, but it's probably going to get more people in, so now we're going to we're gonna have to continue to fight is the problem. We're going to want to thin the field a little bit. Yeah. All right. Um, first player folds, hijack calls, button raises to 65, and the next player folds, and it's back on us. <sighs> well, I know the hijack's not going to re-raise again, so I might, I'm probably going to I mean, I'll probably close out the betting. I don't think he's going to. So that would make it 20, 40, so 110 plus one, so be 175 in the pot. We have to call 45 for 175. We still have a straight possibility. What would he raise with? So, I mean, he, he could be stealing it because of how, you know what I mean, how small that bet was. He could think that we're not really serious. You know, it's hard to know. Hmm. That's the other thing too is the buttons in position. So now, once we even if we call it, no matter what comes on the turn, unless it makes our straight, and even then we can't be ecstatic. But if it makes our straight, unless that happens, the only confident card we could probably feel comfortable betting again into this person is maybe another jack. Because if a ten comes, only an eight is needed for yeah. straight. Yeah, because think about it. Because that eight eight gives us a straight, right? But then it makes queen ten the nut straight. Yeah. It's possible. I don't feel comfortable with it. Um. And a ten out there now makes anybody with an, a random eight in random hand, eight. Yeah. Uh, straight. So I don't like that. So really, at this point, I'm down to a two outer. So you know, I, I guess I was fine. You know, taking the lead here and seeing whether we could thin the field out and represent some other hands. But now, now we actually got to play our hand. Play the hand we've been dealt. How's that? <laughs> um, I think I'm done here. I think I'm done. I'm gonna call. So we can I mean, continue the hand. I'm, I'm going to call. I think call. I can defend the call. I'm going to have to hit that jack. Yeah. That I get lucky and I, I hit that, you know, eight um, or a ten, and I get a free look at the river. That's cool. But but I can't call this forty-five and not hit a jack and still put more money in this pot. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little more inclined to be a little more confident in my hand if an 8 comes, because the specific hand of queen 10, yeah, I guess he could be open-ended. 
and then hit the eight and then have a better straight than us. So that's it. But what he is he really raising the sixty five with Queen Ten here? That's maybe. Cool. Maybe. I mean oh, maybe oh, he we have other players in the hand too, so yeah. I guess it depends. We had He's trying to get people out. Yeah, button raises Yeah, so oh, it could be heads up here, I guess. All right. So that's um, an interesting point actually. Yeah. So I'm gonna call and just see what happens. Because I feel like I could still be ahead. This guy could be just trying to steal it from me because I made such a weak bet after taking control of it pre-flop. And even the control bet pre-flop looks weak. If you're playing 1-3, generally a raise is to 10 to 12 anyway without even limpers. You had two limpers along, and you still were willing to just make it 12. So he may think, you really don't have that big of a hand, and now you've followed it up with 20. He may say, I'm just going to take this hand down, or I'm going to take control of this hand and steal it from him. And then if not, when he checks the turn, I'll really take it from him because he, now he's out of position and he knows I've taken control of the hand so it could be what this person's thinking and I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna call if I fold here I, I just I can't imagine hitting top pair have a gut shot straight and took control of the hand early and then I'm folding so I'm gonna call yeah you're probably right I forgot that we have some other options here that we call that we so alright I'm gonna give it a call but that's it okay alright um, our hero does call and the hijack calls as well too um, the turn is the Deuce of Clubs. So our board now is Jack of Clubs, Nine of Diamonds, Jack of Hearts, Deuce of Clubs. Forgot we had clubs here too, so now we're back in the game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, now we've picked up something else, so now it's going to be tough to get me off this hand unless it's something ridiculous. And um, we are first act. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know what? Because I, I really don't want to be raised again. I don't want to get it all in with Jack High, Flush Draw, and one pair. Yeah. Um, and then one, you know... A gutter for a straight, but um, so I'm willing to check and then call something reasonable because it, the, the best part would be if a club came, he would never be able to really put us on clubs at that point. And you don't think he has clubs by the way he's playing it. Uh, that's yeah. not, that's not saying he doesn't have clubs. He can well, have eight, nine clubs too, too. So. Yeah, and there's another player. So oh no, they have yet. That's true too. Um, the possibility that the hand might develop in a way that we have to give them credit for. Right. Well. But if a club comes, it's just it's hard to believe someone is playing this hand to hit clubs because there was no there was, only no, there was no flush draw on the flop. It was backdoor. You don't play for backdoor in no limit. I mean, you just you just don't. You just if it gets there, that's great. But you're not playing for that. So yeah, and, the only real realistic hand would be like an ace jack of clubs, and we have the jack of clubs. So right. that's not possible. Maybe maybe ace nine of clubs. Ace nine of clubs. Yeah, and that just that doesn't seem right. Like someone's gonna call sixty five for middle pair when you got betting and raising around you. So. Yeah, it feels like the hijack is drawing probably to a straight. Could be the same hand as us. And uh, the big the button, I mean, is is either trying to steal this hand or already has a ten. And it's just free not free rolling, but hoping that we don't catch up. Um I don't know. Uh so okay, so I'm gonna check and see what happens. Okay. I'm gonna do it as well, and so is our hero. Okay. Uh, hijack checks as well. The button bets one hundred and five dollars. We have a uh, hundred and forty left. The hijack has squiggly two hundred, and the button five to six hundred. That helps. Yeah, I'm gonna let it go now. That's just way too much of my stack to to hit something that's not even the nuts. Um, this guy's got to have something. What, it, you, what's the axiom? It's easier to bluff one person than it is two. Yes. If, if this guy is bluffing he's not doing it into two people unless he's absolutely positive we're gonna fold both of us so i feel like this guy's got a 10 or two pair and we're drawing thin you know the other guy could have the nut flush draw who knows even though it's not 
something we were planning before. If he does have Ace Nine of Diamonds and did, which is getting out of hand, you know, who knows? Um, but the other guy could be drawn to the same straight we're drawing at, so that doesn't help us. That kills our odd, odds in half. So I think I'm letting it go. It's too much of my stack to go in on one pair with a terrible kicker and some draws that don't even give me the nuts when I get there. So yeah, I think the real problem here is we have the hijack in between us. Yeah. Um, and we just don't know what's going to happen there. If it was just heads up, that changes things a little bit. I, I don't anticipate the hijack raising here. Um, but even if he did, if we only have 140 and a yeah. guy bets 105, the that's raise, right. That's ra- true, yeah. You know what I mean? The raise doesn't matter anyway. We're screwed. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. So, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. I mean, I'm not going to shove. I mean, I'm not going to shove here. No one's going to fold for 35 more dollars. And right. we have to hit to win, probably. Right, and right. I don't like doing that with one card to come. Hmm. All right. Um, let's see. Our hero says, I had only been playing at the table for 30 to 40 minutes, and uh, he was a solid player and only took down two hands while I was there. He was a regular because of this chat with a dealer regarding another player who was a regular. His first win was with a pocket pair of queens, and the second was a $400 hand where he rivered the flush. I put him on two possible hands, a jack or 9-10. I did not see him with two clubs because of the $65 bet before the two, uh, two's a club on the turn. I was concerned that he uh, did have me out kicked on the jack. I really thought he had 9-10 and was betting big to get me laid down my jack, thinking I may have a small kicker. Well, that's a very specific hand, but then the other thing, you're forgetting about the other player. If you're only talking about one guy, what's the other guy drawing at two, and he could have your outs? It's just hard to imagine Jack High is or pair of Jacks with a ten kicker is the best hand right now, right? Or could be the best hand, which yeah, is right. Part of our improvement, right? Yeah. Um, and also I think sets are possible. I mean, sets are always possible, right? Yes. Yeah, especially like pocket sevens. It could be Jacks too, right? Yeah, we have one Jack. Yeah, po- pocket nines. Yeah. They're all possible hands. So there, there are a lot of hands that beat us. And even if we get there, there are still hands that beat us. If we get to the straight or if we get to the, the flush, you know, it, it, it's possible. I mean, somebody could have seven, nine of clubs. Right. Uh, no, no, it's a club out. And seven club is out. Never mind. Oh, um, no, yeah. Yeah. But I'm still, I'm just saying there, there are hands that are feasible that are clubs out there that are hurting our outs. And there are feasible hands out there that, you know, queen eight of clubs. Who knows? I mean, that beat us. So, I mean, just... You only made it $12 pre-flop. Any cards could be out there now. So I, I'm laying it down. Um, all right. Here says, I go. I went all in. Hijack folds. Button, of course, calls. The extra 35 bucks. Rivers, the queen of spades has not improved my hand. The button turns over seven of hearts, nine of hearts. Yeah, that was the last thing we just mentioned. Two pair. Wow. Yeah, because seven, does seven nine get in there if you make it 20 to go pre-flop? Probably not. Maybe um, the seven nine. He made it. He made it sixty five. So he, he probably isn't going anywhere. Even if you re-raise again on that flop, I don't think he's going anywhere uh, with two pair. So you you probably were screwed no matter what you yeah, did financially. Um, there, the, I don't think there was a real effective way of winning this hand because the pre-flop we were suggesting limping along and hoping we hit, and if we limped, then obviously this guy called. The twelve, so right. we're going to call the three. Right. So he's going to be in the hand. He's going to hit bottom two pair, and he was really happy with it. Probably more happy with it than I would have been. Um, 
because there were a lot of a lot of danger there. Yeah, if it comes deuce on the river, he loses. Yeah, he gets counterfeited the year Jackson deuces. That's a that's a that's the hand that uh, TJ we talked about. We talked about the yeah. hand that loses the most money or bottom two pair. Yep, yep. On a flop. Um, yeah, I, if we do replay the hand real quickly and we do limp and no one raises because seven nine's not going to raise, then you're looking at about eight to ten dollars in the pot, something like that. So that flop comes, you bet, you know, if there's ten in the pot, you bet eight. He raises to twenty four. You call the turn bet. Now he won't bet one hundred and five. He'll probably bet sixty or seventy. That's true. Yeah, you know I mean, see, there's different ways to play this hand. If we had played it traditionally, how you would play Jack ten in middle position with limpers, hoping to hit the connectors, the pot would have been pot controlled. You'd have smaller pot, less loss. And then when he did bet almost your entire stack and all he had was one pair with no kicker and a, some really iffy draws because they weren't to the nuts, you know, you could have gotten away from it and you would have saved at least 105 on the end. So, yeah, there are, there are ways to play this hand differently, definitely. Absolutely. Hey, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.